Welcome to the Islamic Empire's podcast. Alright, so I'm going to have to take a little bit of responsibility. Uh, I did not upload last week's episode because I was crazy sick. And also, I just really didn't want to write a long script and work very hard to produce an episode while sick. So today, I'm going to do a little quicker episode, uh, an episode that I'm way more interested in and something that's cool as hell. So in this episode, we're just going to be co- covering the life of Khalid Ibn Walid and just going to be a special episode just covering his entire life because he's cool as hell. Khalid Ibn Walid was born in the year 592 CE in the heart of the Arabian Peninsula, in the bustling city of Mecca. To truly understand the man, we must first understand his tribe and his family. Khal was born to Walid ibn Mughira and Lubaba al-Sughra, and was part of the Banu Makhzum subtribe of the Quraysh. The Banu Makhzum held a vital role in pre-Islamic Arabian history. Renowned for their custodianship of the Kaaba, they oversaw the holiest site in Mecca personally, imbuing them with prestige and religious authority. Their influence extended to commerce as they played a key role in introducing Mecca to foreign markets, notably in Yemen and Abyssinia, contributing significantly to the city's economy. Walid ibn Mughira, the father of Khalid ibn Walid, you know, the Walid part of it, was a significant figure in the early days of Islam. In the early days of Islam, when the leaders of the Quraysh saw that the Prophet Muhammad refused to abandon his religion and mission and continued to preach monotheism under the protection of his uncle Abu Talib, Walid ibn Mughira was among those who sought to dissuade Muhammad. Alongside notable, notable figures including Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, Abu Sufyan ibn Harb, and others, Walid approached Abu Talib, urging him to convince his nephew Muhammad to stop insulting their gods. They offered the Prophet power, kingship, and marriage to beautiful women in exchange for announcing his mission of preaching Islam. They believed that the Prophet Muhammad wanted these things through the religion, but truly he was, you know, <laughs> was a religious prophet. However, Muhammad steadfastly refused, declaring that he would not abandon his mission. When it became evident that Abu Talib would not give up his support for the Prophet Muhammad, nor would the Prophet give up his own mission, the Quraysh leaders devised another plan. They proposed to give Walid's son, Umara, as a son to Abu Talib and requested that Muhammad be handed over to them at, in exchange. This request was firmly rejected by Abu Talib, demonstrating his unwavering support for his nephew's mission. Side note, uh, it's a little crazy how Walid was willing to give up his own son. Like that is how much he hated the Prophet Muhammad and hated the religion of Islam. Just a little side note, I just find that crazy to give up your own son. Despite his opposition, there are instances where Walid displayed a degree of understanding and respect for the Prophet's message. On one occasion, Walid remarked that the Prophet's words were neither those of a human nor a jinn, praising their eloquence and soothing quality. He advised the Quraysh to agree upon a single narrative to present the visiting representative of Arab tribes during the annual Hajj. Sadly, as time passed, Walid followed the other Quraysh leaders in their mocking and reviling of the Prophet, causing him distress. 
the Quranic verses in Surah An'am were revealed, emphasizing that the prophets before Muhammad had also been mocked, but ultimately their mockers faced consequences. The verse reads, وَلَقَدْ اسْتُهْزِئَ بِرَسُولٍ مِّن قَبَلِكَ فَحَاقَ بِالَّذِينَ سُخِرُوا مِنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا مِنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ Other messengers had already been ridiculed before you, O Prophet, but those who mocked them were overtaken by what, by what they used to ridicule. Walid was one of the key figures among the Quraysh leaders who were directly mentioned in the several verses of the Qur'an. These verses highlighted his role in opposing Muhammad, the Prophet, and the new faith. They served as a testament to the challenges faced by the Prophet during his mission. Walid's life was marked by moments of both opposition and reluctant acknowledgement of the significance of Muhammad's message. His story reflects the complex interactions and conflicts that shaped the early years of Islam in Mecca. And this conflict would later eventually impact Khalid's life himself. Khalid's mother, Al-Asma bint Al-Harith ibn Hazan, commonly, commonly known as Lubab al-Sughra, hails from the Banu Hilal tribe, a group of nomadic Arabs. Lubab al-Sughra con conversion to Islam around 622 CE highlights the power of the Prophet's message. Intriguingly, Lubab's sister, Maymuna, became one of Muhammad's wives, further entwining Khalid's family with the early days of Islam. Through his maternal connection, Khalid became intimately acquainted with the Bedouin way of life, a life characterized by nomadic wanderings across the vast Arabian desert. This exposure would prove invaluable in his later military campaigns, as he gained a deep understanding of the terrain and tactics needed to navigate the Arabian desert. Khalid's cousin, Amr ibn Hisham, famously known as Abu Jahl, was a preeminent leader of the Makhzum tribe and a staunch opponent of the Prophet. In a show of resistance, Abu Jahl organized the boycott of the Prophet's clan, the Banu Hashim, around 616 to 618 CE. This boycott aimed to isolate and ostracize the Banu Hashim and their supporters, creating a challenging environment for the nascent Muslim community. After the Prophet's emigration from Mecca to Medina, formerly known as the Hijra in 622 CE, the Makhzum, led by Abu Jahl, continued to oppose him vigorously. They commanded the Meccan forces in the Battle of Badr in 624 CE, a pivotal confrontation in the early history of Islam. It was at the Battle of Badr that Khalid's tribal loyalty collided with the emerging faith. Approximately 25 of Khalid's paternal cousins, including Abu Jahl himself and many other kinsmen, perished in battle. The clash was a tragic testament to the divisions that had arisen within the Quraysh. Khalid had become one of Islam's most dangerous opponents later on during the Battle of Uhud. During the Battle of Uhud, Khalid led the right flank of the Meccan cavalry. Instead of launching a common frontal assault against the Muslim lines on the slopes of Mount Uhud, Khalid adopted a strategic approach. He chose to bypass the Muslim flank by advancing through the Wadi Qanat Valley west of Uhud. The early stages of the battle favored the Muslims, but a turning point occurred when most of the Muslim archers stationed to protect the rear of the Muslim army abandoned their positions to join the raiding of the Meccan's camp. Khalid recognized the vulnerability of the Muslims in the rear defensive lines and seized the opportunity. He led a charge against this gap in the Muslim formation, exploited the moment of disarray. 
Khalid's relentless assault on the Muslim rear lines resulted in the loss of several dozen Muslim lives. He is described in historical narratives as riding through the battlefield and using his lance to strike down Muslims in his path. Ultimately, Khalid's tactical acumen and exploitation of the opening in the Muslims' formation contributed significantly to the Meccan victory at the Battle of Uhud. This battle stands as the only engagement in which the Quraysh emerged completely victorious against the Prophet Muhammad. Yet, history is full of surprising twists. In 628 CE, the Prophet and his followers set out for Mecca to perform the Umrah. The Quraysh, anticipating their arrival, dispatched a cavalry force led by none other than Khalid. But here, Khalid's path would diverge from his early antagonistic stance. The Prophet, displaying a profound understanding of the situation, chose an unconventional and challenging alternative route to Mecca, evading a confrontation with the Qurayshi army. These shifty moves, sadly, could not completely avoid a confrontation. Later on, a standoff would lead to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah in March of that year, a truce between the Muslims and the Quraysh. As Khalid witnessed the strength, integrity, and character of the Muslims, his heart began to soften. He saw the unwavering faith of the Muslims and the way they upheld their principles, even in the face of adversity. This marked a significant turning point in Khalid's life and the beginning of his conversion to Islam. Khalid ibn Walid's conversion to Islam is a remarkable tale of transformation that occurred during a time of great change and turmoil in the Arabian Peninsula. Khalid, initially a staunch opponent of Islam, underwent this profound change of heart. It was during the 8th or 6th year AH. There is some controversy about the exact date, but uh, I truly do not care. Uh, during this time, Khalid, along with two other prominent figures, Amr ibn al-As and Uthman ibn Barha, decided to embrace Islam. They all converged separately on Medina, with the intention of paying allegiance to the Prophet Muhammad and accepting Islam. Amr ibn al-As, who had previously been advised by the Abyssinian Negus to consider Islam, had set off from Abyssinia to personally embrace Islam in Medina. Meanwhile, Khalid ibn Walid and Uthman ibn Barha, both from Mecca, also set off for Medina with the same intention. Fain intervened, bringing these three individuals together at a place called Hada. Amr ibn al-As, Inquiring with about Khalid's intentions, asked him why he was heading to Medina. Khalid, with conviction, replied he had recognized the truth of Islam and its message. He dared Amr to stop him from going to accept Islam. He expressed his determination to immediately go to Medina and become a Muslim, emphasizing that there were very few wise individuals who hadn't embraced Islam. Amr ibn al-As, relieved by Khalid's response, declared his own intention to embrace Islam. And, you know, he's probably scared of fighting one of the best warriors in all of Arabia at the time. Together, the three men arrived in Medina with hearts filled with remorse for their past opposition to Islam. The Prophet Muhammad welcomed them warmly, declaring, Mecca has given us its most beloved people. This remarkable episode illustrated that Islam's spread was not achieved through force only, but by influencing and convincing hearts. Khalid, who had once fought valiantly against the Muslims, and led polytheist armies, now knelt before the Prophet sincerely. Khalid was the first to reach out and pledge allegiance to the Prophet. The Prophet, acknowledging Khalid's intelligence and the path that led him to Islam, expressed his faith in Khalid's wisdom. Khalid 
overwhelmed by remorse for his past actions, sought spiritual relief. He asked the Prophet to pray for God's forgiveness for his involvement in battles against the Muslims and his killing of Muslims on the battlefield. The Prophet reassured Khalid, saying that Islam really erased all sins committed before embracing it. He then prayed for Khalid's forgiveness for his previous actions, aimed at diverting people from the path of God. From that point on, Khalid harnessed his military genius for the cause of Islam. He would eventually earn the nickname Saifullah, or the Sword of God, his most common nickname, due to his heroic efforts in spreading and protecting Islam. Uthman ibn Dalha, a member of the Quraysh with deep ancestral connections, who had also embraced Islam and, prayed and paid allegiance to the Prophet. Amr ibn al-As, once a fierce opponent of Islam and skilled strategist, was also filled with remorse and shame. He expresses a desire to embrace Islam to the Prophet without any conditions. The Prophet assured him that Islam erased all past sins as well, and Amr pledged his allegiance. Amr later returned to Mecca and played a crucial role in various military expeditions, including the conquest of Egypt, earning him the title of the Conqueror of Egypt. Khalid would quickly put his military prowess to use in the Battle of Mu'tah. The battle took place in 88H, and Khalid ibn Walid would play a pivotal role as a military leader. The battle was fought between the Muslims and the Byzantine Empire and marked a critical juncture in the early history of Islam. The engagement occurred near the village of Mushayrif before progressing towards Mu'tah, where the actual battle took place. Despite facing overwhelming numerical superiority from the Byzantine forces, the brilliance of the Muslim leaders came to the forefront. The battle was situated in a valley between the two heights, nullifying the Byzantines' numerical advantage. During the course of the battle, the Muslim leadership saw a series of losses as the three successive commanders, Zayd ibn Hatha, the original commander, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, the secondary commander, and Abdullah ibn Rawaha, like the, like the substitute commander, I guess, fell in battle. The situation grew dire, and the Muslim soldiers faced the imminent threat of defeat without their leaders. It was at this critical moment that Thabit ibn Akram seized the banner, rallying his comrades, preventing the complete destruction of the Muslim army. After Thabit's heroic intervention, he handed the, over the banner to Khalid ibn Walid, who took charge of the situation. This pivotal moment marked Khalid's leadership as he assumed command and directed the Muslim forces in the battle's aftermath. With the Muslims hopelessly outnumbered, Khalid employed one of the most ingenious tactics in military history. With both sides encamped for the night, Khalid would send a large part of his forces away from the camp and fit them with new banners. When the sun arose, this force would march into the camp, signaling to the Byzantines. He also ordered his cavalry to hide behind a hill during the daily skirmishes to make it seem that cavalry detachments were also arriving as reinforcements. With the creation of a ghost army, Khalid was able to disengage the Byzantines without being chased. The Battle of Muntah resulted in the martyrdom of several Muslims, including notable figures mentioned before such as Zayd ibn Haratha, Jafar ibn Abi Talib, and Abdullah ibn Rawaha, among others. The counts of casualties among the leadership raised questions as they appeared disproportionately high compared to the losses suffered by ordinary soldiers. Modern-day scholars uh, are very wary of the number of Muslims killed in the battle, but you know we're not here to talk about that. Some scholars also debate the nature of the encounter, suggesting that it may have been simple skirmishes 
or that the Muslims achieved complete victory due to the low casualty count among the rank and file. Following the battle, the returning Muslim forces and Khalid ibn Walid specifically faced criticism and accusations of fleeing. However, Prophet Muhammad affirmed that they would return to convert the Byzantines again, signaling his confidence in the Muslim military capabilities and defending Khalid's decision as a military commander. This is the end of Khalid's story that you know reaches what we have talked about so far. Khalid will play an integral role in the rest of the story going forward. He will be like the main commander in the expansions and f fights against uh, both Rome and uh, Persia. He will be the probably the greatest military commander of this era of history. And, you know, we will be talking about him a lot. So I just wanted to give this episode to him and talk about his life and talk about his family and talk about the context of who he was. So uh, see you next week, guys.